Cognac. Oh, Sophie, bonjour, mon ami. How are you? I'm good. Amazing. We are finally talking and having a podcast together. I missed you. <laughs> I've missed you too. And you're, we feel like we're tantalizingly close, only a matter of about three hundred or so miles. You're in Paris. I'm in London. And obviously, so much to talk about in terms of the French Open. And Sophie, who would have thought a couple of weeks ago, we would have been having a conversation where we said, Iga Spiontek is the French Open champion. Who saw that coming? Well, I didn't. <laughs> For sure <laughs> didn't. Either. I said to someone, I said, if anybody had the Spiontek against Kinnan as the final of Roland Garros, the French Open 2020, I want to meet that person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Tell me, tell me what it was, well, tell me about the whole thing. Let's talk about Sviantec first, because she is a dazzling star that has burst onto the world stage. I mean, a former junior champion, but somebody at Wimbledon, of course, uh, on the grass, but somebody who you would just never have picked at the start of the draw to have gone seven matches, not dropping a set. Youngest champion there since Monica Selish, I think, way, way back in 92, I think I want to say. Um, and a, and a game that is just fearless. Yeah, I mean, I love the game. I mean, she lost only 20 in games, 28 games total in the tournament over seven matches. That is nothing. As you mentioned, didn't drop a set. And, you know, I think that everything kind of aligned for her. Um, she was really in the, in the in Cincinnati and the, and, and the U.S. Open not feeling well. She mentions it, you know, in a press conference saying that the mental was not there. And... Um, I think that, you know, what's great about her is that she is dedicating and saying, you know what, I, I, this is a teamwork effort. I mean, uh, I didn't only win this. The only reason I got to, uh, you know, hold the trophy is because of the people who were with me. I mean, our coach, which was, I think, very sound tactically, Piotr Shvikspudruski. I'm going to try saying that the right way. It's not easy. And then our sports psychologist that she mentioned uh, constantly, Daria Abramovic, uh, who has been working with her, and and it sure showed because uh, this kid was pumped up and ready to go and believing in herself. It is incredible. You reference how she felt after the, after the Western and Southern Open, and she was feeling a little bit down about herself. Uh, for people that don't know, I mean, she just finished her studies this year, didn't she? And she was debating ahead of the French Open and it's an ongoing conversation that's been in her head for a while, although whether it's decided now after becoming a Grand Slam champion remains to be seen. I suspect yes, but she was thinking about maybe going to university, wasn't sure after the Western and Southern whether she was able to do it at this level. Um, that's after she lost to Christina McHale in straight sets in New York. And then third round of the US Open and, and maybe green shoots of recovery there went out in round row in round one in Rome to Arantxa Rus and then this dazzling run I mean it is incredible that someone who is doubting themselves so very recently can then win a grand slam a, a few weeks later yeah I mean and you know she had for somebody who was so young at 19 she already had a really bad injury and people you know are not aware of that but in 2017 she had a right ankle surgery injury that required surgery uh, came back, you know, 2018 and went won uh, Wimbledon as, the, as a junior. So, you know, you have to realize that you learn a lot when you go through this thing at such a young age. But I think that the fact that she really captured the right people around her 
um, gathered to obviously win our first measure, but also liking and believing in ourselves. And um, it's it's sad to imagine that somebody who's in top 16 in the world doesn't believe in themselves. But to tell you the truth, I've lived it, so I, I kind of feel what she's feeling and uh, it's amazing to find the right people and what it does to you and to your confidence and you know what she was able to display as a tennis player the forehand topspin um, really kicking very high in the final against Kennan that was really bothersome to Kennan who couldn't get close to her line you know the baseline enough to dictate the play that we've seen her dictate earlier in the tournament and then you know, she used also the slice uh, backhand and the drop shot was, I think, one of the probably the shot of the tournament men and women combined this year because of, you know, the situation, cooler, you know, colder temperature, humid temperature, heavier balls. Uh, the balls were changed this year. They went to a different kind of ball. And I think the players, you know, mentioned it all the time. But, you know, it worked out pretty well for the one who was probably complaining the most at the beginning was, was Nadal. <laughs> Yeah, and look how that turned out. Yeah, I think he wants to get the same balls next year, but I'm not, you know, I'm probably on on a drier, you know, surface and drier uh, weather. It's gonna it's gonna work better. But you know, going back to Shiantek, it's it's all this, you know, these changes. But the mental toughness to me is what really made this tournament for her. And uh, uh, also remembering a few of the shots that she was hitting in the final against against Kenan, the back end down the line was ridiculous and sometimes she was not even balanced and she could trigger that back end down the line like you know no problem winner and and that worked everything worked (laughs) everything did work so many times we saw her drop shot an opponent draw them into the net and then there would be a beautiful top spin lob waiting for for that exhausted opponent to try and scamper back and retrieve and 99 times out of 100 it didn't work and i just think that she was so sound tactically. She's spoken about that and making the balance in her head, one of the many balances to make between playing on instinct, which she's outstanding at, but also knowing the moments when you've got to stick to the game plan. And she said that she got that absolutely right here at the French Open. She listened to her team and she trusted them and the results came and then some. And and how about, I think, you know, she won on the day of, I think it was mental, uh, World Mental Health Day uh, in the U.S. on Saturday. And it was Daria's birthday that same day, her, her psychologist. I mean, how, I mean, how great is this? <laughs> I know, that's decent timing. I mean, she's got, she's got a great relationship with her psychologist and it just goes to show, doesn't it, that in those moments of crisis, she said she only really felt it, that she was not even wobbling. I can't even describe it as a wobble, but it, it suddenly dawned on her at match point yeah. in the final what might be about to happen. And But what she had done so effectively up until that point was just keeping things simple. And I know it sounds really simple when you say that, just thinking, move your legs, hit the ball, don't think beyond that, just, you know, every shot take it one shot at a time and 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 that had been the secret of her success and although it does sound simplistic when you say it that is so difficult to do in those moments of high pressure yeah but i think you know when you have somebody who is giving you a tactic and you trust you know a thousand percent that person you know coach and you get out there and you 
you start the tactic and it works, you know, it's easy to keep it simple because you keep the task and you keep the same task and you keep the same tactic. And that's, she didn't have to find any really plan B and C because what was implemented the second she got on the court on against most of the, you know, most of her opponent kept working throughout the match. So, um, I mean, I was pretty amazed. And I think people also, you know, a lot of them didn't really play her many times. So she's kind of a newcomer. It reminded me a little bit of, uh, you know, the the young Ostapenko, you know, the way that she won, the, you know, the, the French Open with being so young and not thinking about anything, just hitting the ball and hitting the ball and, and hitting a target pretty much all the time. It felt very similar to me. Uh, except Shiontek to me was more, I think, psychologically sound uh, than Ostapenko, and hopefully he's going to react better after after winning here. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Ostapenko. I I thought as well over the course of the last few days about this triumph that she's had so young and the extraordinary nature of it, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of Naomi Osaka winning her first title was at Indian Wells, wasn't it? And she burst onto the scene that way, and it wasn't long before she had a Grand Slam in her tennis bag as well after that. And Sviontek, who is her great friend, they became friends, I think, last summer at the US Open. They hit together in practice and became great, great friends. Um, she she reminds me of Naomi in so many ways, not the least of which is sort of charming shyness in that victory speech, which Naomi had in Indian Wells, and, and she's gotten so used now to making quite big victory speeches, uh, those confidence levels have grown, haven't they? And I suspect the same will be true of Spiontek. But yeah, there are similarities there, I think, as well. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, they said the exact same thing when they when they received the trophy and when they had to make their, their first speech in front of really a, a huge crowd. They both said, well, you know, I'm not used to making speech. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say that the worst speech was without without question, there was Naomi Osaka at Indian Wells. But in a way, we all understood <laughs> the reason and the magnitude of somebody who is so shy, you know, being in front of cameras and everything and just couldn't put it together. But um, yeah, I think there's some similarity. I think that I believe that Iga Svantec has more of their, her head on her shoulder uh, than uh, Naomi Osaka, and the fame is really different uh, just because she's, uh, well, even though she's from Poland, it's a smaller country. Uh, when you come back, I think, with Japan, you know, with uh, having a lot more people, I think, to cheer for you, it puts a, a bigger, uh, I think, a bigger pressure on the shoulders with the amount of sponsorship that Osaka you know, receive not that Sviantec is not going to get that, but not to that magnitude, I don't think. So um, I think it's going to help at a young age to, uh, you know, to try to just brush it off and, and keep playing and not having what we see constantly when uh, players win a major, that letdown, that, oh, what's happening? I, I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to go to this this uh, sponsorship. I have to talk to this media. I have to... So, you know, it's a lot after that. Let's see how she, uh, you know, deals with it. Well, it's going to be interesting. That is obviously one of the many challenges that now lie in store for Sviontek. But I guess you can take um, comfort from the advice of Naomi Osaka, who has handled that transition fantastically, True. hasn't she? With three Grand Slam titles and, and the prospect of many more for her to come. And certainly on, on this evidence, you would say that Sviontek is a star for the future uh, and we're so pleased in women's tennis to have her and that seems to be 
doesn't it over the course of the last two or three years very much the way things are going i mean her rivalry with osaka will be interesting won't it now because that's how you would call them sviontek's in the top 20 they will be rivals now we've got bianca andrescu as well who's uh, yet to return after the injury problems that she's had but when she's back it's going to be interesting to see how who she fits into that picture and how that shakes up as well so it, it's such an exciting time i think sophie for women's tennis well, would you agree with that? Oh, totally. I mean, I think the more we're getting those youngsters and the more there's depth in women's tennis, it's, you know, it's to find out who's going to be really uh, driving the boat. And I think that with, you know, the depth and the way that everybody's playing, it's going to be different. It's going to be very difficult to have this one star like we had with Serena Williams over the years, you know, especially in 2013, 14, which was dominating the, the you know, the scene on women's tennis. I think you, it's going to be hard to replicate this right now because everybody is so fit and, uh, you know, you're seeing it less and less on the men's tour, although we saw, again, the the best two or the, you know, part of the big four, three and the big three being in the finals here at Roland Garros. But you sure have the young guns coming right there and knocking at the door very, very hardly. They certainly are. I thought on... The weekend, a penny for the thought of Agnieszka Radvanska, who was one of the first people to congratulate Iga on her triumph. And she came so close, didn't she, against Serena at Wimbledon back in 2012 and has been a real flag bearer for Polish women's tennis. I, I thought that was a lovely message from Agnieszka to Iga, seeing her achieve that success at such a young age. Yeah, and especially for somebody who couldn't do it. Uh, you know, and tried and tried so many years. And yeah, I mean, and the reason that Iga is there is because of the Advanska, you know, uh, you know, kind of like uh, showing the path. And, and uh, you know, when you go growing up and see somebody who is in the top 10 and she was, you know, such, such amazing player on tour, I think it's, it's giving hope to a lot of young, young women and young girls. And hopefully that's going to also, you know, help Poland creating and bringing even more of these players. Well, i tell you another thing, Sophie, that I think that people, players at all levels, will take great encouragement from this French Open is, is the success of players who made real breakthroughs, not just Igor Sviontek, but there were plenty of them elsewhere, and you didn't have to look too far from the very top of the pile to find them. I mean, starting with Nadia Podoroska, what an extraordinary run to the semi-finals she, she had. And, and Martina Trevisan as well, getting to the quarters to name but two. There are more that we'll discuss in a second, but perhaps you could give me your thoughts. You would have seen a lot more of them up close and personal at the French Open this last fortnight than you might have imagined at the start of the draw. Well, even Krejcikova, you know, for her to get and play Ponderoska uh, in the fourth round. I mean, you, this is telling of the depth of women's standing. I mean, Krejcikova was more known for doubles prowess. Uh, former number one uh, in the world in doubles with Sinyakova, and uh, she faced uh, Podoroska in uh, in the fourth round. I mean, I thought it was wonderful to see that you know there's a lot more depth and there's it keeps going. And uh, Podoroska, I mean, that was so impressive to see you know from the qualifying rounds, you know, coming from so far, having played so many matches and. Uh, you know, beating Svitolina was completely absent. You know, 22 unforced errors, only eight winners for Svitolina. Uh, you know, it's and and 30 unforced errors and 30 winners for Podoroska coming to the net often, trying to really take it to Svitolina, who herself was just not finding any answers. So, yeah, I mean, it's I love seeing that and you know reaching the semifinal in the 
in a in a slam and that the French opened for the Argentinian. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. I, I love seeing that all the way from qualies. She had a great run. So did Trevisa, as we say, but also someone like Paula Bedosa as well, getting to yeah. uh, the fourth round. Great wins over Sloane Stevens and Yelena Ostapenko, a former champion and a former finalist, dispatched in Paris by Bedosa, who continues to impress me. Her rise has been steady but consistent, and, and she's got a good game, hasn't she? Yeah, Spaniard, I mean, evidently always dangerous on on this surface, and end up losing to uh, Lara Zigeman also coming back from a year ago from you know a really really horrifying and horrific injury uh, oh, with her she's had inter- so many yeah. bad injuries hasn't she so anterior crucial ligaments that was uh, uh-huh. in Nuremberg I remember that was right before the French a couple of years ago but and the fact that she was able to go all the way you know all the way to the quarterfinals a little bit of luck we have to say because I don't know if you know against Mladenovic there was Mladenovic was up 5-1 in the first yes, set, yeah. like pretty much rolling through Zygmunt. I mean, there was no match. She was just bombarding her with winners. And at 5-1, unfortunately for Mladenovic, there was a ball and a drop shot for a set point like, to win the set. And uh, the champion thought that Zygmunt got it. And uh, Mladenovic lost the point. But on the replay, you see really clearly that Zygmunt didn't get it in time. And there was two bounces. Uh, so that raised the question to, do we need rev- review in the future? Do we need the Chair to have access to review uh, on this kind of calls? Do we have, do we put also a review on footfault? Because there have been a lot of footfault this year. Um, do you need, do you do a calling, you know, uh, uh, archive on, on uh, red clay? I mean, it's, um, there's a lot of talking about all this, which I think are very legitimate uh, questions. Uh, but anyway, you know, nonetheless, she did reach the quarters against Petra, who herself was playing a great tennis, and against Kennan, just not enough. Kennan was too strong with taking the ball so early, and she was so close to that line. I think that was the best match of the tournament for Kennan. Mm, um, I agree. There. I agree. Yeah. Just couldn't do that in the way that she would have wanted to against Beyonce, yeah. but that would absolutely have been her game plan to try and get as close to the baseline as possible and take it early. Yeah, and then there were the French women. I mean, that yes. wasn't too bad for the French women, considering, I mean, besides Milinovic, outed, you know, in the first round, and new French women, because we're so used to seeing Garcia, we're so used to seeing Milinovic, we're so used to seeing Cornet. Well, guess what? And, by the way, Parmentier this year was the last uh, Roland Garros. She's retiring now, and uh, so we say au revoir to... Uh, to Pauline, but uh, we had uh, Fiona Farrow, who I thought was uh, a delight to watch. Um, she's a great person, often on the court. Uh, I think the fact that she's working with Emmanuel Planck, who used to coach Lucas Pouille, uh, it's been one of the best, uh, I think, coach-player you know, player combination this year, this short year that we've been having. She's learning a lot from him. Even though he doesn't know, as she mentioned, much about women's tennis, he's he's somebody who works so hard that he's gonna he's gonna get you know and understand the music very fast because he's gonna be in front of every single match. He's gonna review everything. He's gonna take notes, um, and I think that it was showing. I mean, Pharaoh uh, able to uh, you know to go through all the way to uh, playing against Kennan in the fourth round. I thought that was. Uh, that was beautiful, and uh, you know she she's should. Just outside the top forty now, so isn't she? Yep, yeah. and uh, yeah, I think she's. Uh, I think she's the number one, 
now player is she maybe the number one player now of France uh, she might be because Garcia I think is at 40 yeah she's right in front of Garcia at 42 Garcia 43 um, and Garcia didn't do badly in this tournament but let me tell you I mean she played a great match against Mertens uh, really got out of one and Mertens really uh, could not really got so tight during that match but good on Garcia to come through 7-5 in the third but then against Vitolina I mean there was no show from the French woman 0-6-1 6-3 I mean we were talking ball missed like in the fans like it was not even close and I felt for her but it felt like another one of those matches where she completely loses um you know, her, her mojo, her mental is not there. Maybe she should start, you know, looking at working with somebody because mentally if she's not already, but poof, just not showing up, not showing up in the office. Talk to me about Clara Burrell, Burrell as well, yeah. because she had a wonderful tournament, didn't she? Just 19 years of age. And, yeah. And she had a great little run, didn't she? She lost in the end to Zhang Shui, but got to the third round that must have been beyond her wildest dreams at the start of the tournament yeah and that was the first time that she was in the main draw of uh, of Roland Garros so for her it was a beautiful prowess and and Zheng Shui that was a very close match you know seven six seven five it could have been either way so uh, I think it's showing that this woman was number one in the world in in the juniors has definitely a great future she's been working with um, Thierry Champion at the French Federation as well as Alexia Deschamps Balleret who used to play on the tour so uh, I think she's starting to find a range and understand you know what's what needs to be done as far as you know being in the pros so is that you know that uh, move from the juniors to the pro sometimes it takes a little time sometimes it takes a little longer but it's very encouraging for the for the french woman and also success so in the doubles too i mean a couple of things uh, to mention there i mean a repeat success for tamir babosh and and christina mladenovic but also the fact that sviontek played that semi-final in the doubles with nicole melikar the night before playing in the singles final i mean that's in, that's a kind of incredible thing that a 19 year old with no fear will do Although perhaps older heads might have been saying, do you know what, maybe just put your feet up the day before and, and don't do that. But she took it on and so nearly made the doubles final too. Yeah, and she played this great in doubles, I mean, with uh, Melishar, as you mentioned. And, you know, I think at 19, it's all right. If you're 25, 27, 30 and you start doing this, that is going to be a different story. I mean, even Kenan, yeah. you know, I think Kenan... Not sure if she should have really kept going in the doubles because of the fact that she was and she felt some kind of injury, you know, prior to being in the final. She had a little bit of a pull. Um, you know, you pay the price if you go deep in both tournaments. It's hard to tell your partner, hey, if I go deep in the tournament, I'm going to pull out. Then partners would say, uh, I'm not playing because that's understandable for them too. Um, you know, so, you know, it's it's a difficult task to do both. I think it's wonderful. I think at 19... Uh, obviously, it's doable. She did it. So, you know, why not keep doing it and uh, see how her ranking moves up? I think the doubles also was a way to kind of alleviate the pressure that she was having in single and be able to have fun and relax on the court. Um, and I don't think physically she was pushed so much in singles that it really mattered for her. I mean, it was just really getting out there and maybe practice some stuff that, um, you know, could help in her single. And obviously it did. And great for the French again to have success with 
Christina Mladenovic, who has formed a, a, a mighty partnership over the last year or two with Tamea Babosh, having been such a, a, a mighty partner in years gone by with uh, Caroline Garcia, uh, and, and now having more and more success with Babosh, they work together so well, don't they? Yeah, and you know what, what? What was really touching is at the end, Christina, you know, talked for a while, and uh, um, she talked about being, you know, in our hotel room for whatever amount of days that she was locked uh, in New York after being defaulted uh, because of being in contact with uh, Benoit Pair, who had um, tested positive for the coronavirus, and she said that. Mentally, it was really affecting her. Physically, she felt like she probably, you know, was starting from scratch. And she says it. She said, uh, the fact that we're here is just unbelievable. And she really thanked Babosh for the support that she gave her. Because if it wasn't for her, I mean, I don't think if, you know, you have to be pushed by, you know, and that's what's called teamwork. And she also did the same thing with her brother. She said, you know, if it wasn't for my brother, I would have lost it. So, you know, it's, uh, people don't realize, but, you know, oh, so what, they were in a hotel for 10 days. Well, that's not only that, it's that their livelihood is in jeopardized, just like everybody else during this crisis. Um, if they can't practice, they can't train, they can't perform. That means they have to, you know, go back at it with very little tennis. And uh, I was shocked to see how she started to play in that first round against uh uh, Sigmund, because without having played really much tennis uh, prior to getting there, not even going to Strasbourg, saying she was not ready, she had a wild card there before the before the French Open, decided not to go. So uh, it was touching, you know. I think it's uh, it's great to see that they back to back able to uh, to win that. It's uh, it's a huge ach- achievement. So yeah, well done. Oh, what other takeaways? So, have you got what was it like being in the sort of French bubble at the French Open? What was it uh, like for you working on it and commentating there? Well, you feel very privileged to tell you the truth because you know all of a sudden you're you're going from your hotel to the to the courts. You're working, you know, hours and hours. It's pretty crazy, just like regular, you know, majors. But on top of that, you feel like you know people out there are fighting for their lives and and you are commentating tennis matches. So you have to put in a perspective and, and feel very uh, humble, and that's what I felt. I felt very humble, very uh, uh, lucky and, and proud to try to hopefully bring something to people um, to give them a smile and, and give them a little bit of lightness, you know, in, uh, in this type of moments that we're all going through. So, um, yeah, I mean, very lucky. And what's next for you, my lovely? I am going to Antwerp uh, because, ah. yeah, there's uh, the ultimate tennis showdown. They're doing one of the UTS, part of the UTS uh, in Antwerp right before the uh, Antwerp men's tournament that starts uh, next Monday. I'm doing this Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days with uh, four players. It's going to be fun. I'm excited because I've you know, I've been talking about, about it with Pete Odgers that we work together with. And it was very exciting to see this new format that is, uh, I think, tremendous for any level. But, of course, you look at the, the young generation, you know, between the age of 25 to 40, that's so exciting and bubbly. And uh, hopefully I'm going to make it as fun as uh, Jenny did, <laughs> Dumont, <laughs> who was there, who couldn't do it this time. So I'm happy in a sense she couldn't do it because it's given me a chance to uh, to be one of, uh, to be the commentator with, uh, with Pete. And very excited to put some uh, really uh, French touch in that commentary. 
you're looking forward to that, aren't you? And you're a big fan of the UTS and, and, and sort of different creative attempts to attract people to the sport just generally, but other kind of offshoots of, of tennis as well. And I know you want to talk about pickleball, don't you? Yeah. Well, I you, have to be yeah. honest, I had a little squint at this and it, <laughs> it didn't really... Well, I don't know. It didn't really butter my parsnips, as it were. Not yet, anyway. Oh, that was good. Okay, I understand. Um, that's a nice expression. Um, well, <laughs> here's the deal. I mean, the UTS, to go back to it for a second, is I love the format because it's different. It's different. It's exciting. It's something completely um, uh, outside of really what tennis is as the regular tennis rules that we have. But the level is, is unbelievable. Uh, the speed of the game, the start, you know when it starts, you know when it's finishing. Um, the the usage of what they call the cards, which is like a, a joker card that you can use as saying, oh, it's going to count double for this point, or I'm going to still serve for my opponent, etc. Everything about it is dynamic, it's fun, and the fact that you can hear the coaches coaching, and you can also, after each quarter of 10 minutes, um, you can hear the players and you interview the players and saying, hey, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what do you expect, what, you know, what's the feeling? And you get a feedback from players that you never get, except on the women's tour, you do get that uh, when you hear the on-court coaching. But on the guys' tour, it's not allowed. So it's something completely new. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's a fantastic thing to have uh, parallel to tennis. Um, I really do. So back to pickleball. pickleball. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So pickleball is a game that was invented in the United States, but it's uh, actually the um, the game that is growing the fastest in the U.S. right now. And the reason being is, on one tennis court, you can put four courts of pickleball. It's uh, that small. It's almost like it's pretty much a badminton court with the net being uh, um, just I think an inch lower than a, a tennis net. So. Um, and it's played mostly doubles, I would say. There are some singles, but it's mostly doubles. But what happens is pickleball is, and if you look online, you will see some championships and really some play. It's all about volleying and touch. Uh, as far as the rules are concerned, they're a little bit complicated, but once you get it, it's, it's very easy to understand what works, what doesn't work. Uh, and it's very um, uh, accessible for anyone because you don't have to have the skills of a tennis player or uh, or a racquetball player, or a squash player, or a paddle player. Uh, you don't have to be as good, and but you can definitely have fun as much as if you were a very uh, knowledgeable tennis player or paddle player, etc. And that is the difference right there. And you know, I played with um, beside me against and with a woman who was in her 70s, in her 80s, and we could have a match with people. I mean, this is how fun it is that there is. It's equality, gender, it's, it's age equality. It's like everybody's mixed. I love it. I really enjoyed it thoroughly. So I'll let you know how it goes. And it's not bad for my back because there's no twisting. The serve is underarm. Uh, everything is forward. There's no twisting motion. Uh, you, you never turn really. So anyway, I, I'm, I didn't think I'd like it last year. I was thinking, oh, this is you know a game that, you know, tennis player, it's because you can't play tennis. So you're going to do that. I'm like, well... Not so much when you start playing competitively. <laughs> so you didn't think much of it at first, and then now no, you're a bit it, of a convert. Exactly. It totally grew on me. I mean, I bought my own racket, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. So when my back is, <laughs> so when my back is good, I'm now, going. It's going to be the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> it's... We're going to be talking, and I'll be like, so, so, if I've got the racket, I've got new shoes, I've got a new outfit, I've got the whole lot. <laughs> Excellent. 
Well, that was fun. It's been a pleasure and a joy. It's so nice to speak to you again on the podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. In, in this strange year where uh, we seem to be uh, lurching from one thing to another, but at least we managed to get to talk again, which is an absolute joy. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, and um, it's good to have your insight as always, but particularly just a couple of days out from the women's final at the French Open where you were there for the fortnight. So thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, um, And Sue. we'll do this again very soon, won't Yeah, we? I hope so. I hope we, we have some tournaments that we can talk about. We, we're still, it's still up in the air what's going to happen the rest of the remaining of the year and what 2021 is uh, bringing. But we will we will get together and kind of have another chat here and there and figure out what's going on. We certainly will. But for the time being, thank you so much, mon ami. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening as well. We really appreciate your time. And we will talk to you again very, very soon. But from me, Sue Thurl, it is time to say au revoir from London. And from you, Sophie. Au revoir from Paris.